Specialty Story, session number 204. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Now, welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I get to have amazing conversations with physicians. This week is no different. I get to have an amazing conversation with a physiatrist, a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician, not a psychiatrist, not a psychiatrist, a physiatrist who specializes in electromyography, EMGs. Those little readings where you get poked and prodded with needles and electrodes and all kinds of fun stuff. And we talk about all of her journey to physiatry, her journey from India to come to the States and being a former OBGYN in another country and how she almost ended up in OBGYN in this country, but what drew her to physiatry and electromyography instead. It's a great discussion. I'm excited for it. Let's go ahead and dive in with Dr. Bharati Swaminathan. We have a great conversation. We start with what brought Dr. Swaminathan into electromyography and physiatry to start. To tell you the truth, I don't know if you know a little bit about me. I did my medical training in India. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea what PMNR is. And after my medical school, in my postgraduate, I was working as OBGYN. Mm. And uh, so I love doing procedures. I love delivering babies. And we have little internal competition. I could do C-section under 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So then uh, as we moved to U.S., then I had to take the USMLE. And I was just looking into should I go into OB or should I do some specialty where it's more procedure oriented? Mm-hmm. So I was looking into anesthesia and uh, my medical school classmate at that time, she came about a year after me and uh, she said, hey, by the way, have you heard about PMNR? I said, no, what is it? <laughs> and she said, it's a great mix of you know procedures and clinical care and it has a great lifestyle. You could kind of create your, uh, you know, work based on what you were, uh, you know, interest and, uh, you know, focus on. So then I looked more into it. And um, when I was uh, my PGY1 preliminary year, I was uh, doing a preliminary surgery because I want to go into anesthesia. Mm -hmm. One of my PGY2 uh, residents just got matched into PMNR at Temple University and he was raving all about it. So then I applied to both uh, anesthesia and PMNR. And my first interview, uh, after that, they called me back and offered me pre-match. I said, okay, I'll just take it. (laughs) So I did not go into any other interviews at all. So now the rest is history. And as far as what got into EMG is, um, so as a PGY2, um, I think it was during my PGY2 residency training year, I had the opportunity to rotate in the EMG lab 
and my uh, EMG lab director was Dr. Jay Liveson. He wrote books on clinical EMG, peripheral neurology, hmm. and his unique approach to patient care, and it got me interested in this subspecialty. So until I met him, I haven't even considered EMG as a career option. Uh, so I'm really grateful for his encouragement to learn more about this. And now I'm happy to have returned the favor by training others. Yeah. What was it about EMG that interested you? Um, so I think as I learned more about it during my rotation, it was very fascinating because, as you know, it's a highly specialized field. So you have to have a solid background knowledge in your anatomy, neuroanatomy, neurophysiology, pathology, and also you have to know a good clinical skills. So you have to put all these together when you perform the procedure. For instance, let's say in Chicago, you know, we, uh, we during winter months, the hands are really cold, right? Mm -hmm. So if you do the procedure when patient hand is really cold, you may get a false positive carpal tunnel. So there are so many technical variables, you know, you have to kind of problem solve. It needs like dynamic decision making and you are kind of using all the tools in your toolbox, I guess, mm. <laughs> to come up with the accurate diagnosis. And one thing I really enjoyed, Dr. Leibson, is... Um, um, so the procedure itself, if I may explain, primarily we do a nerve conduction portion, and then a needle EMG. So it's not a pleasant test. So you need to make sure the patient is comfortable and able to tolerate the test so you could uh, gather quality data for interpretation. So Dr. Liveson had this uncanny ability to put patient to ease. You know, He would put the needle in the patient and say, I didn't feel anything, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and the patient would laugh. So he make it like a fun experience for them. So not only for the patient, but also for the trainees. Yeah. So I thought I can do that and be good at it. Interesting. Do you, having been a prior OBGYN back in India, do you see any correlations between taking care of patients, putting them at ease uh, to, to mm -hmm. what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, in India, like, you know, as you know, our uh, population is very heavy and uh, we have, uh, if you're on call, you will be delivering babies uh, the whole night. So you have to kind of talk to the patient, uh, not only the patient, but also the family members to have, you know, explain everything and, uh, you know, make them feel comfortable and confident in you that, uh, uh, you are in good hands. Yeah. So what are some common myths or misconceptions around electromyography? Well, uh, to start with, not a lot of people know about EMG. Sometimes patients would say, oh, what is EMG? I thought uh, I heard about EKG or EEG, but not EMG. So, and the other misconception is... Um, a lot of them think it's primarily done by neurologists. Mm. So they would be surprised to see, oh, you're a PMR doc, you're doing it. But in reality, it goes back to the training. Like in a PMR, uh, we have four-year training, right? Residency program. Mm. For the PMR resident to sit for the boards, 
they have to at least do minimum 200 EMG studies. Okay. So then only they could uh, get board certified. As opposed to neurology, uh, it depends on the program. Uh, some programs, you may get some exposure, some it's optional. So in our facility, we have four PMR docs and all of us do EMGs. We also have four neuro docs, but only one does EMG. So, mm. How does that work? I, I love talking to like... Uh, um... Uh, oh, I can't think of the right word for for radiology. Uh, doing IR, right? Uh, right. You have the mm-hmm. I, the IR docs, and you have vascular surgeons, and there's yes. there's lots of potential turf wars of of who gets what thing, or or ortho uh-huh. spine and neurosurgery spine. Lots of turf wars of like who does what and sure. and who should be referred to. When you have mm-hmm. two specialties that can both do the same thing. Like how much conflict is there between the two specialties and and how does a a department or a hospital system deal with that? Wow. I mean, for us, I don't think there is much conflict because with EMG, it's either you like it, you love it, or you hate it. There's no (laughs) middle ground. And I think as a PMR, we have a kind of an unfair advantage. We spend a lot of time with patients and you know you kind of take care in their uh, different variety of settings right so we we are more attuned to their patient-centered approach so some of our neuro colleagues send all the difficult patient to us actually here you guys take care (laughs) of it so it's the other way around so I don't see much conflict in that sense that's funny okay very interesting um so what what traits or um uh yeah what what traits do you think lead to someone being a good electromyographer uh i think um personally i think i like uh, the challenge it brings and it helps you problem solve like it makes you think on your feet and I would say growing up, I always liked doing puzzles, playing chess, reading mystery books. I think the EMG. So let's say you refer a patient with pain or hand pain or numbness, for instance. And um, if it is referred by a PCP, usually there won't, there won't be a much of a provisional diagnosis. They would just say symptoms as opposed to uh, specialists, sometimes they narrow down, rule out carpal tunnel syndrome versus cervical radiculopathy. In either case, we kind of approach each patient, uh, you know, like uh, take a new history, do an independent musculoskeletal exam. Then we decide between the trainee and the resident and the fellow what is appropriate testing. We kind of customize the tools to the to get the maximum benefit. Mm-hmm. So it's truly a joy to come up with accurate diagnosis. And like I mentioned, uh, I feel like I have the same ability like my mentor to make the patient, put the patient at ease. So that way we can gather uh, accurate data. Yeah. What, is it, what does it look like in terms of um, the, the types of patients that you're treating? Who, who comes to a PM&R doc or a neurologist or whoever for an mm-hmm. EMG? Sure. Uh, 
So basically, as a PMR physician, we, we do treat wide variety of medical conditions, right? It could be brain uh, patient with brain injury or after a stroke in an acute setting mm-hmm. or patient with spinal cord injury or musculoskeletal or peripheral nervous system. So majority of the referrals are uh, if patient had any kind of, uh, you know, new onset paresthesias, numbness, tingling, or chronic neck back pain. So they want to rule out, is it something, what is the diagnosis? Like what is the etiology of their, uh, you know, uh, current problems? So we see patients with myopathy, motor neuron disease, radiculopathy, neuromuscular junction disorder, polyneuropathy. So I can give you an example. Uh, Recently, um, you know, Amazon, they opened a big warehouse Mm -hmm. close to our um, facility. So I I believe it was a few months, um, very recent. We had three patients uh, back to back with a kind of a vague wrist pain, intermittent paresthesias, you know, and uh, we did the testing. We then EMG was completely normal. So all three just started working there. As you know, in the warehouse, all they are doing is repetitive movement mm-hmm. because they said uh, these big robots will bring the boxes. All they are doing is labeling. And they are, they are supposed to work like 10-hour shift or something like that. There is mandatory overtime. So basically, they had overused tendinitis. So we were making fun. You guys have Amazon tendinitis. <laughs> and it's not carpal tunnel syndrome. So I think uh, so. that's where our physiatry uh, training helps us because a lot of the patients may have MSK issues with a little bit of neurologic symptoms so the emg helps to tease out and confirm your diagnosis yeah. kind of prove or disprove your theory like your clinical uh, you know conclusion yeah and so msk for anyone listening musculoskeletal so uh, yes. general general reference there so mm-hmm. um would you would you say that to be a good physiatrist or PMNR doc to be a good mm-hmm. EMG doc that mm-hmm. anatomy must be a strength of yours absolutely um so at our facility like uh, you know our clinic we get uh, medical students from i'm also chair of PMNR at uh, Chicago Medical School so what I found out is uh, the PG, by the time they are M3 or M4, they kind of really go back to their anatomy. They say, oh, I just learned it, but, you know, but they really need to kind of carry that, uh, have a solid knowledge on the anatomy. It helps, uh, you know, tease out the diagnosis. Um, so we do get the medical students, M3 actually, uh, they, during their uh, M3 years, they have the neurology elective. But during that one month, they spend one day a week with me in the EMG lab. Usually for most of the students, it's their first exposure to EMG. 
so they are uh, you know um, they are always grateful for that uh, emg exposure mm. and from them i i kind of learned that um, most medical school either don't have a pmr department or they don't have too much awareness or special interest group so as a chair i am the chair for the past i have been the chair for past i think 3 maybe 4 years mm-hmm. so the first thing we did was we started a m2 pmr elective it's a 10 week uh, you know course and um, we had a great attendance 40 students wow. enrolled so so we are trying to increase awareness <laughs> of this specialty that's great well hopefully this podcast will, will help as well what does a typical day look like for you uh typical day uh, i would say when i was uh, full time like a clinician um i used to see patients kind of day like every day i have clinic schedule but now i wear multiple hats i'm the chief of pmr so i have some administrative time built into my schedule mm. so every day is kind of different for me do you want me to go through like sure. monday through friday okay yeah. so for monday uh, i usually start my day by 7 7:30 um so i think we briefly touched upon any conflict with neuro colleagues as a matter of fact uh, we have a really good uh, working uh, relationship with our neuro colleagues and um, last year or a year before one of our neurologists who primarily perform uh, botox injections for migraine he had some uh, health issues so we kind of stepped in we got trained so i still continue that to help them out so mm-hmm. monday mornings i have uh, uh, migraine patients i see for botox injections so where the trainee and the uh, our resident and fellow also come and perform uh, do that with me mm-hmm. then after that i come down to our rehab clinic so um, i'm not sure if you are familiar with uh, battlefield acupuncture I don't think for so no. chronic pain okay actually it was uh, developed uh, by one of the flight surgeon in air force i think his name is richard nemtus i don't know how to spell i could send it to you yeah <laughs> so when the iraq afghan war lot of our soldiers were getting injured and you know they don't have access to medications right away so it's basically a gold semi permanent needle we put around the patient ears you have the specific points um around the ears so mm-hmm. five needles on each side so that helps with the chronic pain wow so yeah so we have really good success with that uh, procedure so our students medical students really want to try it on themselves too interesting <laughs> and that's, it does work yeah that's dr uh, richard nimbitsau it's a yes a hard one yes. to say there yes um so at least up to over 75 per- of patients they do get some kind of immediate relief and so if it works they come every four weeks three weeks you know to repeat the procedure mm. so that's my monday morning and then monday afternoon i have emg clinic so where i have both the resident who are in the senior resident pgy4 and our emg fellow 
so they kind of take turns and uh, perform the procedure then we go through the diagnosis and report writing um, then the next day tuesday morning i have emg clinic in the morning and then uh, noon time i have meeting with my leadership team uh, then afternoon again um, some meeting time and then Wednesday morning, we also have a traumatic brain injury clinic. Mm. The same uh, where Iraq Afghan veterans, you know, with the uh, come back with a mild TBI or some of them have severe also. Mm. So I have the TBI clinic in the morning. And uh, depending on the day of the month, I have different meetings, our monthly staff meeting or uh, you know, medical school, some of the faculty advisor meeting on Wednesday afternoons. And then Thursday is our uh, didactic day with clinics. Uh, so Thursday is the time where the M3 students, as a part of their neuro rotation, they spend their whole day with me in the EMG lab. And also afternoon, we have time set for didactics. So what we do is uh, some of the M3 students, it's their first or second clinical rotation. So I will have them go in and take the history, physical. Sometimes the resident go in and help them. They come and uh, present to me and uh, we kind of come up with the top three differential. Then we go in and the uh, fellow and the resident take it from there. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's the morning. Then afternoon, uh, the resident will prepare what we call a AANEM mini monograph. It's kind of an in-depth re review of each, uh, you know, neuromuscular disease like carpal tunnel syndrome, radiculopathy, ALS. So they will present to the students as well as the fellow. And then the fellow after uh, 2 p.m., he will present some advanced challenging cases. And uh, then our other faculty, one of them will review like a simple MSK exam for the M3s. And then uh, another faculty, she does the neuromuscular ultrasound training. So we keep them as our model and kind of look at the shoulder, knee. So it's another emerging field, the neuromuscular ultrasound. It's more of a diagnostic and also complements our EMG testing. Mm. Very interesting. So lots of variety, especially for someone in your position with wearing wearing lots of different hats. Yes, yes. Talk, but I enjoy it, yeah. Yeah. So. Talk about someone who may be very interested in, in physiatry and electromyography, but isn't very comfortable with procedures. Is this a specialty that they should or can pursue? Absolutely. I mean, as you know, uh, physiatry, like we kind of treat, uh, we see patients in a wide spectrum of their, you know, entire uh, medical care, meaning from acute inpatient hospital to if they get discharged to either uh, home versus subacute nursing home or a long term care facility. So you can kind of, um, you know, customize your practice based on your skill set and your interest. Uh, for instance, some of my uh, residents, they only love inpatient, you know. 
So they do primarily acute inpatient rehab. So there you are kind of a primary care, taking care of patients' medical, uh, you know, medical issues like urinary tract infection, if they have chest pain, you could do your basic workup, then consult a cardiology as needed. So you could be a primary or a consultant. Mm. So, uh, so it really depends. And some uh, residents, they like primarily outpatient settings. So they could do sports fellowship and uh, just see musculoskeletal cases. So basically, the this specialty is unique. So when during training, you get exposed to all these um, formal orthopedic, rheumatology, MSK, and neuro training. So by the time PGY4, you could kind of um, choose which way you want to go. Do you want to a hybrid? Some do, some inpatient consultant in an either acute setting or a nursing home setting. Plus they do see patients in outpatient uh, uh, clinic as well. Are they going to be able to get through residency? They, they'll just have to suffer through those procedures for residency? <laughs> so that is true. So to meet, uh, to sit for the boards, um, they have to do EMG, like I mentioned, 200. Mm -hmm. And also the joint injection, I believe, minimum 20. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you got to do something. So, yes, they have to do something. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So what does call look like for you? Uh, you mean now or as a resident? Uh, now. Now? Yeah. <laughs> now I don't have any calls. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think I lucked out in that sense. Uh, our uh, facility is more of a primarily outpatient based and then we do uh, do inpatient consults. Uh, but if you go to another facility, like in a tertiary care center, like a Heinz or a Milwaukee VA, they do take calls mm -hmm. because they have a huge service. Uh, they have a spinal cord injury unit, traumatic brain injury unit. So they do, but they also have more um, faculty members. So they may take one call a month or something like that. Yeah. What is, what is a typical emergency or is, is there one where someone who specializes more in EMG would have to come in in the middle of the night? <laughs> For EMG, I don't think uh, you don't have to come in uh, middle of the night. <laughs> Stat <except> carpal tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good point, Rod. Um, so EMG is more of an elective procedure, yeah. uh, meaning you need to wait at least minimum of three weeks uh, to make sure the valerian degeneration happens so you could uh, get the data you need from the nerve and the muscle. Hmm. However, if you suspect of any patient with Guillain-Barre syndrome, also known as acute inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, that's the only time we get consulted like a STAT EMG. Yeah. Uh, so I explained to my trainees, if you get a call from the ER doc, hey, can you do an EMG? That means they want to rule out Guillain-Barre syndrome yeah. because you do see time-dependent changes in the nerve conduction and the needle EMG portion. Yeah, very interesting. Are we seeing more, more GBS with, with the COVID vaccine? Uh, not more. We do have few cases, though. 
uh, although in our uh, in our facility, I'm not sure if you are aware, we are the first uh, kind of uh, in the nation where we have both VA and DOD in one center. Oh wow! Yeah. So when I started here as a young uh, clinical uh, faculty, I did see quite a bit of GBS, believe it or not, wow. <laughs> and uh, we then our neurology colleagues and we were like why it's happening then we found out you know when you enroll you get uh, vaccines up to 10 15 right mm -hmm. so once they space it out we are not seeing that many oh wow very interesting yeah. okay so for for you do you feel like with all the hats that you wear you have enough time for life outside of the hospital <laughs> Uh, I think so. Uh, I think uh, you just need to be organized, I think, and also get as much family support if you can. And um, so also I try to kind of uh, delegate, if you will. Uh, my husband take the kids for when they were growing up, all their activities. But mm. if they need any medical doctor's appointment, I make sure I go with them. <laughs> So we kind of divide our responsibilities and my parents helped out a lot. So, mm -hmm. so I was fortunate in that sense. Yeah. Very, uh, very interesting. What does the, the training path look like to, to be someone who's doing a lot of EMGs in their practice? Sure. Sure. Uh, so you could do the fellowship. You have to be either, uh, trained in PMNR or neurology. So these okay. are the two specialties that can uh, perform the EMG testing. Mm -hmm. uh, so for uh, PMNR residency, uh, some places offer categorical position, which is a four-year program, and some only do the three-year. So the first year, uh, like a PGY1, you can do either preliminary medicine, preliminary surgery, some had done family practice one year and decided, no, I want to move into PMNR. So then it will be a three-year uh, program. So total of four years. Mm -hmm. After that, you could subspecialize depending on your interest. Uh, let's say you don't like doing procedures. You could be an inpatient medical unit medical director. Or you could be a medical director for a traumatic brain injury unit or spinal cord injury unit. So in that, uh, if you are a medical director, you are primarily serving as their primary care, and then you will consult as needed. Or if you are interested in pediatrics, you could do a pediatric fellowship. Um, so most of our fellowships are only one year. So uh, it's very easy for them if they need to subspecialize. Yeah. How competitive is the fellowship? Uh, I would say um, probably right in the middle. Uh, we do have ACGME accredited fellowship offered through neurology, primarily in neurology, some in PMNR. So I would say if you think this is what you want to do to apply early, because most places, they only have one or two fellows. Mm. Okay. Very interesting. So for, for a, a medical student now or, or maybe a physiatry resident now, for them to want to get into your 
EMG fellowship, what, what should they be doing to, to stand out on their application? I don't know as a medical student how much they knew about our field. <laughs> Even now I find out there is a lack of awareness and not only with the students, but sometimes with the PCPs as well. Um, I think first of all, they need to show interest that they really want to learn and they want to, they are passionate about, you know, taking care of the patient, treat each patient as, you know, a potential for discovery. And they like to be challenged because a simple carpal tunnel referral could be something different. Uh, I can give you a perfect example. Uh, Recently, a hand surgeon referred a young college student. Oh, he has radial neuropathy. And the student, uh, that's another thing. They, our patients all Google everything. So the first thing I ask after introduction is, did you Google the test? <laughs> <laughs> Most of them say, oh, yes. And then they come really nervous. So it's our job as emg to make them explain the procedure and make them feel as comfortable. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the referring physician uh, thought he could have like a carpal tunnel, but it ended up having a peripheral neuropathy, not only in his hands, but also affecting his legs. And the important thing was the student, he just got a job in Japan as an English teacher. So he was traveling next week or so. So I have to call the surgeon myself, say, no, it's not just simple carpal tunnel. He has something else going on. He need more uh, testing done. So, so, yeah, it's very rewarding to make an accurate diagnosis in that sense. Mm. Um, very neat. For the osteopathic student listening to this, are there any, is there anything that they need to do to overcome any negative bias towards DOs? Um, I'm not sure about negative bias. Um, I mean, uh, for our specialty, especially, uh, we do really value their background. And I think their philosophy goes along well with our PMR specialty. Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of our academic leaders in PMR are DOs. So mm. I think uh, they have a really good, uh, I would say unfair advantage <laughs> for this specialty. So yeah. I don't uh, think there is any negative bias. Yeah. Uh -huh. So may, maybe a strength because they. It they, is a strength. Yes. They potentially have a little bit better understanding of some anatomy with their OMM stuff. So that's that's very interesting. What do you wish the primary care, the future primary care docs listening to this? What do you wish they knew about PMNR and EMG to better help their patients and help you? Um, to be honest, I think not only PCPs, but also some specialists knew very little about our specialty. So I wish uh, they knew uh, how much, you know, wide variety of uh, patients we see. And uh, so hopefully they could refer the patients to us sooner than later. So the more, uh, the sooner we see them, so we could make an accurate diagnosis. So we won't delay their getting the treatment or their care. Um, so we do see patients uh, for second opinion. So with, you know, was thought something, undergo surgery, and then turn out to be different. So 
the earlier they consult us, I think it benefits everybody. Hmm. Very cool. So the um with with everything that you do, what do you like the most about being a kind of an EMG specialist physiatrist? What do I like the most? Uh, like I said, I do like the challenge each patient brings. Um, basically, um, you know, it, the value depends on how good a doc you are, how good your bedside manners. You need to kind of uh, carry the patient through the test. Mm. So as I explained to the trainees, after you introduce yourself, gather the data, when you are performing that procedure, I know you have to do a lot of things. Uh, you know, you have to connect the wires, make sure their hands are cool, but don't forget about the patient. Just keep them entertained. Sometimes, believe it or not, the patients will entertain us. They will tell us jokes. <laughs> so I'll tell them who oh, you make you have, you know, you make our job easier. So try to put patient at ease and they truly appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So one time I had a patient who couldn't tolerate with three dogs. And at that time, my chief said, Swami, you are it. <laughs> and here the patient comes. He had PTSD and uh, uh, he also brought his little chihuahua. He kept it in his uh, jacket. <laughs> so I see, and he asked, uh, Doc, are you okay? If I have it, it makes me relaxed. I said, as long as it doesn't bite me, I am okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he was able to go through that entire test. So I think that it's truly a joy to come up with the diagnosis, but also make sure we, you know, listen to our patient, pay attention. So we tell them you are the boss. If you need a break or water during the test, we could, you know, take mm. a break. So we are able to have them complete the tests. So. Yeah. What do you like the least? Uh, like the least, uh, being a EMGer. Mm -hmm. uh, to be honest, I can't uh, think of any. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah. Except uh, the report writing used to be, you know, um, very time consuming. However, with advance in technology, for instance, when I was a trainee, after each test, like uh, we connect the wires to the median nerve, gather the data, then you have to disconnect and connect to the ulnar nerve. So in between, if you don't press save on the machine, it won't save the data. Mm. But with the new uh, technology, it's auto saves it. <laughs> that's so, nice. <laughs> yeah, so that's nice. It's so, good for the patient. Yes, good for them. So we don't have to shock them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's good. So do you see any major changes coming to the, the specialty that may change the way it's done that students should be aware of? I think um, obviously there's always going to be some changes in any field of medicine, but uh, I don't foresee any major change, at least in electrodiagnostic portion of it, because as I mentioned earlier, although the machine has come advanced, the actual time uh, the physician take to perform the procedure, it's still the same. Mm -hmm. the timing and the testing time. 
the report, you can have some auto-generated, at least it will kind of uh, take inference from the data, but you still need to go and edit. Uh, however, the one additional tool we have, I think, is the neuromuscular ultrasound. Mm -hmm. I think uh, that's a new rapidly evolving field, and it can complement our EMG findings. Hmm. So a lot of our training program, now they added that as a part of their curriculum. This is where the turf war you were talking about between radiology, maybe PMR may get into, but uh, yeah. I think that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, if you had to do it all over again, would you would you go back to physiatry and EMG? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I mean, I can't go back to OB. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I truly love the challenge, like I mentioned, and uh, I think it's an indispensable tool, and it gives us a good understanding of the peripheral nervous system. Mm. And, tr and truly an extension of our neuro exam. Yeah. Um, what final words of wisdom do you have for a student listening to this, thinking they want to go into physiatry and EMG? Um, I would say um, remember to always be a physician and not a technician. Uh, so in my opinion, you know, technology can be a blessing or, and a curse or a curse. So it's very important not to be impatient or jaded. And uh, I like this quote by William Osler, uh, medicine is a science of uncertainty and the art of probability. So you have to approach each patient as a potential for discovery. All right, there you have it. Again, Dr. Bharati Swaminathan talking about her journey to physiatry and electromyography. I hope this was a helpful episode for you to really understand that there are so many nooks and crannies out there for you to pursue as a career in medicine. And next week's episode is just as niche. It's a subspecialty of anesthesiology for next week. Don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app. If you don't have a favorite podcast app, Spotify is really big with all the kids these days. Uh, my favorite app on iOS is Overcast, uh, but there are so many great apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. Specialty Stories.